0: Open off and Skyly Century stayed in the gate. There's Vogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Vogue won't give up. He's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Vogue. Don't play, getting a rails run. Vogue in front. He's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win. Vogue! Vogue is practicing at last in This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing, and Inglis. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day, fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form, which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code Racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. A short time after Ray Guy passed away in 1992, his brother Max and son Brian sat down to plan the future of the family's very successful Rose Hill training operation. Max had been Ray's highly valued foreman for many years. Brian was 37 and had been working in the business since leaving school. Brian actually encouraged Max to apply for the trainer's licence, but his uncle declined the invitation and so Brian Guy took over from his late father while Max continued in the role he liked best. That was the situation right through to 2000 when Brian elected to sell the Rosehill property and set up a training operation on the Gull Coast in partnership with son Daniel. 1,200 winners later, Brian has decided to accept an offer from Gull Coast developers for his bundle stables and with a touch of sadness, will walk away from the only professional life he's ever known. He has saddled up many stakes winners with four at Group One level, including the Queensland Derby with Eagle Way. Brian's reputation for reliability and integrity is best illustrated by the fact that he's still training horses for a handful of owners, who were with his dad, several decades ago. Brian Guy saddled up his final runners at the Gold Coast meeting on Saturday, February the fifth. Six runners, in fact. He had one third and three seconds. It wasn't the fairy tale ending you'd been hoping for, Brian, but a pretty satisfying day nevertheless.
1: Yes, that's for sure, John. It was, um, you know, we had a pretty good day. It's, you know, they could have been three last. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, but absolutely. We, uh,
1: yeah. But we had the, uh, you know, they all give us a bit of a thrill at the furlong. They were all right there. And um, no, no, it was, uh, they raced very well.
0: Mm. What was your feeling walking off the track after the last race? Mixed feelings? Mixed feelings?
1: Very, very John, you know, being down here and a lot of people, you know, coming up and talking to me and things mm. like that and and it was a it was something that, you know, you're you're walking away from which you've done all your life. Mm. And you know, I, I just you know, some part of me thought, Well, Brian, why are you going to do this? And the other part I was relief, you mm. know, as to say have a break and, and and give it away and, and enjoy life a bit. So, yeah. you know, it was, it, was, it was very emotional.
0: In recent years, the Gold Coast developers have descended on properties around the racecourse like a flock of marauding seagulls. Now, your property is one of only two stable complexes remaining in a street which once accommodated 260 horses.
1: Yes, um, that's right, John. Um, across the road now from us, there's about 197 units. Um, on my side of the street, um, up the end, um, there is 87 units or 90 units up there. And, and yeah, there's only two blocks left. It's um, the people next door, the Bal- Balcoms. They, um, oh, Ross had passed away and and um, they'd been renting the place out next door. And, and then we had uh, our place here and the... Developers come and saw saw us after they'd been next door, and um, yeah, it was um, they wanted to put townhouses on. So it was, you know, it was uh, I had to have a think then if I want to keep going or you know what to do, and we decided to sell.
0: They say old horse trainers never die; they just fade away. Did you give any thought to renting two or three boxes nearby? and hobby training, one or two?
1: I did, John. I did because I've had that very good two-year-old, I think he's a very good two-year-old golden arty. He raced Mm. in the Magic Bands. And um, the owners wanted me to to keep him, and I thought um, I'll take one horse, keep him, and go to the Winter Carnival with him this year, where I think he would have been very competitive in the JJ Atkins. But... um, I thought to myself, well, do I wanna get up out of bed at, you know, four or five o'clock of the morning mm. and with one horse, you're there of the morning, you're there of an the afternoon, you're there every every Saturday, you're there every Sunday, you know, mm. to do to do it. And I thought to myself, Well, if I'm gonna do it for one, I should do it for fifty. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, No, nah, nah. Yeah. Pull you know, the pin. So I decided, pull the pin, yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, the other important aspect here is the future of Daniel, who actually started that Gold Coast stable for you and he's been your partner for twenty one years. Now does he intend to continue training, Brian? He's you tell me he's been very good on the administrative side of things.
1: He's never ever wanted to train, John. From the from the day that he came into the business, he said, Dad, I don't want to train mm. he said I'm not a horse person. Um, he said, "I've had nothing to do with the horses." He said, "I um, will look after the office," mm. and uh, and that's exactly what he's done, and he's done it. He's not more or less; he's a son, but he is a mate, and yeah. I mean a good mate. You yeah. know, we've been, we get on great, and you know, he's um, hey, he's got his opinions. You have your father and son blues, like everybody does, but <laughs> it's over. It's over in five seconds.
0: Yeah, I know you're not a fanatical golfer. And I've never heard you mention bowls as one of your favourite pastimes. <laughs> what the hell are you going to do with yourself?
1: Well, I used to you – know, Daniel and I and a, and a few blokes up here, we used to play every Monday afternoon um, up until about oh, five years ago. Mm. And it just got too hard. And, but, uh, <laughs> we used to be playing golf and before um, all the internet coming and things like that. It was just faxes and whatnot. And Daniel used to sit there going around in the golf cart, taking rides for Michael Wright. Mm. And, uh, Mm. and now times have changed, but he, um, he's done a great job with all that, Mm. Mm. you know, probably get back to playing golf. I'll go back and have Mm. a couple of lessons and, and um, get back having a hit again. I'm, I wasn't mm. good at it then, so I can't be any worse now. <laughs> no, that's right.
0: <laughs> now, here's something I thought of after our phone conversation last week. Yep. Should Daniel relinquish his trainer's licence? I'm sure this has crossed your mind too. Yeah, it will he mark it. the end of an era, mate, the end of a training dynasty of which Daniel is the fourth generation. For now, it's the end of the line.
1: Yeah, we've never spoke about it, John. You know, we haven't spoke about what we're going to do with our license. You know, um, it'll run out to, uh, to the end of the season anyway. Um, only because if I go to the races of a sadi, I don't want to pay me way through the gate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're very honest, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, mm. it's um, we haven't spoke about it yet, but we'll work when we get a bit closer. We'll work out what we're going to do and and. Mm. You know, we may may keep it, yet we may not. We don't yeah.
0: know yet. Yeah. Your dad arranged a permit for you to ride track work when you were 13 years old. Did you yes. have early aspirations to become a jockey?
1: Well, at the time there was Alan Denham and myself, and we are good mates and we still are, and, and um, they all thought that I'd make the rider and Alan get too big. Well, <laughs> Alan ended up a champion apprentice and I ate... And I ended up eating too many meat pies. <laughs>
0: yeah. Alan <laughs> won a Sydney Apprentices Premiership, you know. People forget yep. that. Yep. Yep. Mm. So well, you uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that was a, that's what, uh, so I went the other way and he he, he did a very tough butt, mm. but um, he, he made a good um, success of what he did. And and uh, and I went the other way and just kept writing work and, and, and working for Dad and doing things that I like to do. I love I playing my soccer. I love playing my rugby league and mm. I did all that on the side sort of thing, you know, and mm. so, uh, you know, and I kept riding a bit of work there until I got uh, too big for that and I was riding the pony and leading out the, the horses that um, needed a pony to go onto the track and mm. uh, horses like you bet I do in that. You know, I used to take yeah. him around to his mark and all that sort of stuff. So, mm. no, it was uh, – it was good and, you know, we used to finish riding work for Dad of the morning and and um, old Jack would have, you know, still 20 or 30 horses to work and and we used to go across and ride work and finish off for them, you know, to give them a hand. So mm. Jack did even them. Though I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even old, uh, even old though Dad and old Jack didn't talk, mm. Alan and I still did, so we used to go across and give a <laughs> hand to, to finish and work.
0: Your dad and Uncle Max did it tough for a few years and they both worked other jobs while training a few horses but slowly they grew the business and some years later, Ray Guy got that team up to 50 horses and he maintained that number for years.
1: Yes, yep, he, they, they both, uh, Max worked on the railways and, and uh, Dad worked at Bonds, mm. Dad did the night shift and uh, and he'd come home and do the horses and, and then Max would leave about 7 o'clock, 7.30 and go to the railways and he'd work through the day and then Dad would leave of an afternoon to go to work and then Max was home to um, look after horses of an afternoon mm. so, and that's how it worked, you know, and and they, were, they worked hard to get it up to where, to get the 50 horses in work and, um, you know, a lot of good clientele and, and we... and. We all had a lot of luck, you know. It was just great, you know. Yeah. Um, They did a great job.
0: Ray didn't didn't have access to spending power at the sales in that era and most of his team were moderately priced horses and he also found himself getting fillies for some of the smaller breeders. That's how he made up the team of 50.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, was um, Loma Park was one. Freddie Peter, he mm. he um, gives down a lot of lot of fillies there, and you know different people would would walk in. I can just remember that they would turn around and say, you know, we we could, could give this mare of, or this filly a try, and all this sort of stuff. But um, mm. uh, Loma Park was one stud that was very, very, um, very good to us. I think.
0: Mm. I've jotted down a list of some handy horses your dad trained, and I know the old-timers listening to us will remember all of these names. One of them, geez, you'd like one like him now, Western Yarn.
1: Uh, he, was a, he, he was my favourite. Mm. He He—he—he he was a seven- or eight-year-old stay and, and didn't know. Mm. He used to walk. You could lead a filly off him, a mare off him, and he just plodded along. He was, he was one of my favourite horses, Western Yarn. I looked after him. Uh, been a young bloke myself and I, he was great.
2: Mm. I
1: remember one day at Rose Hill there, I think a horse called Martindale, I think it was, yeah. attacked, him in, attacked him in running and he found two lengths mm. oh. <laughs> and won the race. Genuine, wasn't he?
0: Martindale. Bart
1: might have trained Martindale. Yeah, yeah. I well, attacked mm. him one day when they were going in a close finish in Old Western today and mm. took off and ended up beating him about two lengths, I think. <laughs> yeah.
0: Itchy feet was a great favorite, not only with the stable, but with the punters. He won a heap of races. He won a George Main before it became a group one.
1: That's right. He beat um he beat Drifted In, Dalrello, all shot. Dearly. He beat some good horses that day. And um mm. and he, he was a lovely horse. Chestnut horse with a big white face. And no, he was he was another another really good horse for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Dad had a reputation as a good trainer of fillies and mares right through his career. One of those mares, gee, she could gallop, Mona's joy. She won a string of races early on.
1: I think if I remember rightly, John, looking back, she won about six in a row. Did she? Four to six yeah. in a row somewhere, you know, and, and the McLoons used to ride. I think Hilton Cope actually rode her first one. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think uh, Dennis and Bruce won a lot on her. I think at the end of her career, Neil Campton might have even won one on her at Warwick Farm one day. Mm,
0: and I recall but, Ray Selkrig winning a race on her one day too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ray did. Mm. Ray and, and and my father
1: got on very well.
2: Mm.
0: And
1: you know, it was a and he ran a lot of winners for my father, Ray Selkrig. and, mm. and uh, they were pretty good mates.
0: Yeah. What about that skinny, raky-looking brown mare? <laughs> Lucifina, uh, you you were the second trainer to prepare her. I think Ted Stanton had her earlier on. If she was ridden the right way, Brian, just let her drop out and leave her alone, you just didn't see horses finish as fast as she could.
1: No, no. She was a, she was a beautiful mare. I think she was by Billum. Yeah, steer, she was. Off the top of my head. Mm. Um, so my me memory's not going too bad anyway, John.
0: Memory's perfect.
1: <laughs> but, she, no, she was a great... She was a great, um, great mare. Her she was a lovely mare. You know, you could see her always getting home down the outside. Mm. She she finished off the races. Um, unbelievable.
0: Mm. In the early nineteen seventies, Ray trained a brilliant two-year-old called Sovereign Slipper, whose wins included a Silver Slipper, and he was a strong fancy for the Golden Slipper. Dad's hopes were high, but he had to be content with a third to John's hope. I think Dad was thinking, here comes my first group one.
1: Yes. Yeah, we were, John. I'll tell you something about Sovereign Slipper. he he come, come, to, come to Dad, and uh, I'll never forget the first morning or second morning. Mm. Uh, he was at the track, and he was playing up and jacking up. We can go out the track anyway. Dad said to me, jump on him. So I jumped on him. Mm and uh and he uh, got a, a stick behind him and he give him a hit round the bum with his stick and everything and he said i could be hitting the best horse i've ever had here i'll <laughs> never he? forget that yeah. <laughs> and we got him going and then um mm. you know got him going on the track and then you know he, once he got up and got going i was uh too heavy to be riding him in gallops mm. and things like that but i had him yeah you know, I, I was one of the first to ride him and mm. and it was such a lovely horse he was a chestnut he was a
0: it was a really nice horse. Mm, by Le Cadonnier, wasn't he?
1: That's right, he was. He was by Le Cadonnier. There mm. was a lot of Le Cadonniers around at then times. And, mm. geez, they went a lot of races, Le Cadonniers. Oh,
0: well, he got a few better than average horses. <laughs> yes, yeah, very much. Hyperion Thoroughbreds were yep. one of the pioneers of syndication in Australia. And obviously, they had to engage trainers... Who would appeal to the hundreds of little owners who were getting into the game, and some of your dad's best horses carried the black and pink Hyperion colors. What about Brandy Shipper?
1: <laughs> oh Brandy, I've got I' got a picture here somewhere of Brandy walking around my backyard with Daniel riding, and I think Daniel's about two.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. hold him he was having a ride on him. He was he was a gem of a horse. He was, and I think he was a $3,000 buyer, something like that, for the high periods, if I remember. And Mm. no, he went on, he he won some good races, and and Ray Silkery got a him on a lot of those races.
0: Mm. Did you ever have a better sort, a better thoroughbred specimen in the joint than Deverant? What a cracking sort he was.
1: Oh, he was a lovely horse. He was a lunch, he was by lunchtime. He was sensationally you know I had him well I had a stable in Virginia street in them days and um mm. and dad was on the other side and we had this another stable up um house and land there we put stables on it anyway I had both those horses there with me Deverant and and um brandy sipper mm. and and Devere, he was he was such a lovely horse he was he was I remember he was going to the sales and he cut his nose mm. uh, in the float or something and he had to get stitches in. And he was and he went to the sales. I don't know if that was the reason why, but he only bought $3,000. I know for a fact yeah. that he was only a $3,000 buy, mm. you know. Mm. And, uh, and he was a very good horse. I actually, if I remember rightly, John, um, he was going to the Golden Slipper. He won a uh an open company race. In them days they didn't have the, the lead ups and he no. won a, he won an open company race a fortnight mm. before mm. and he hit his foot in the in the race when he won. Mm. And um oh, just split him right from the from the um, down the coronet band right down. Oh dear. Anyway, we just couldn't get him back again. He, we mm. tried everything, Percy Sykes come out and and he didn't get to run in the Golden Slipper. I think that was the year Manicado won it.
0: Mm, Seventy nine, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. But he uh, and he just—you never seen the best of him after that, mm. you know, because he was just—and um, uh, they kept him a colt and everything. I, he mm. signed a few. I oh, think he he was—he yeah.
0: was better than Handy as a stallion. on yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, no, he was a, and a lovely horse.
0: Oh, there were so many, Brian. You bet I do. You've mentioned him already. a <laughs> Pura, All Archie, Steve Vets. Few of them had flash pedigrees. I mean, it was big news at the guy place if a bletchingly walked through the gate, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yes, it was. And, uh, yeah, they were all, you know, not nothing flash bred horses, but, geez, they all had ability, all those you were talking about, even a horse. That Was a great welder horse, and geez, I reckon he pulled us out of trouble many, many times at Rose Hill in the last race. Gelston,
0: which horse,
1: horse called a horse called Gelston? He used to get oh, down Gelston, the. Oh, Gelston, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he, you remember calling him, and yeah, yeah, white, uh,
0: white colors with a green star or something very similar, yeah. To that.
1: Exactly, yeah. Mm. And he used to get home down the outside and we'd all be done our money all day and then all of a sudden Gelson would say, yeah, I'll help you out and he'd win the last.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, your dad was always the first to admit that brother Max deserved much of the credit for the stable's success. Max had an extraordinary knowledge of the anatomy of the horse. He could pinpoint problems quickly and he knew how to treat them. And it was often said, Brian, back then that having Max on the team was like having a resident vet.
1: Exactly, John. You know, he, he was well, uh, how can I put it? Um, he was well um, advanced in that sort of thing through practical work. You know, he, he, mm. he must have read of a night time and, uh, and, and looked at things and, and he was before his time. Yeah. If, if, if it was the word I was looking for. Mm. He he just um he could do things yeah, you know, like now they over the last few years they've been doing injecting knees and things like this, mm. like that. And then uh going back there was a matter of fact, there was a bletchingly horse. He um he was a sway back and he had terrible knees. Uh Max said, Let me um said to Dan, let me inject his knees and Dad said, Oh, you know I don't know if it him any good he said well let's try
2: yeah
1: and he took the blood out of the horse he took the plasma out of the horse and and ejected into the knees and the horse went to Hawkesbury and broke a race record
0: yeah and Brian (laughs) if you get a vet to your place today to do the same procedure you know how much it costs
1: oh no I'm the leg
0: a lot of money
1: yes Max Guy
0: pioneered that procedure
1: yeah and that was back Hmm. then you know and and uh all before his time, as I said.
0: Mm. You know that there was no shortage of talented apprentices in the guy' stable, and some of the blokes to come through the system were Donnie Mitchell, the late Groovy Scorse, Anthony Cavallo, Rito Cadalbert, you could go on and on Dean Tanty, Mark De Montfort, Tim Phillips. And what about the bloke? Uh, that your dad apprenticed many years ago, who was now a trainer in Queensland, and you see a lot of him. Yeah.
1: he's a uh, matter of fact, I spoke to him yesterday. He he hasn't been well at the moment, but that's Mickey Mare. He was mm. Dad's first apprentice. Good heavens. And I'll never forget one day. When I, was only kid, I was only a kid, and, and uh, Dad had Sador in at Warwick Farm. And uh, was in a 1,200-meter race in, like, stayed or got over a mile and a half. Mm. And Dad put Mick on, and he said to Mick, he said, he'll get back to last, Mick, just let him run home down the running, you know. Mm. Anyway, he flew home down the outside and run third. (laughs) Dad Dad said to Mick, what did you do that for? Mm. He said, well, I had to show people I could
0: ride. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Dad didn't want to show him up. <laughs>
1: no, Mick said I had to show people I could write. <laughs> oh, good on you, Mick.
0: hope Mick hears the podcast.
1: Uh, Mick, Mick um, as I said, I was talking to him yesterday, matter of fact, and we always have a bit of a chat about the old times because mm. not many people know, um, John, that Mick was there with Dad when my mother was alive, and my mother died when I was nine years old, so mm. we go back a long time. We yeah, go back a long time.
0: Well, yeah. I hope Mick uh, gets to tune into the podcast, and if you do, Mick, all the best. And uh, we're all hoping and praying, of course, that you can get your health back on track again. And it's lovely to reminisce about your early days in the guy stable at Rose Hill. Your world was turned upside down, Brian, in December. 1992 when your dad died in his sleep just one week after a routine medical examination deemed him to be in pretty good shape it was a hell of a shock for you all
1: it was was it was um you know it was a thing that you know we didn't see coming as you said he uh he did a good health check and everything like that and um just went to bed that night and uh, had a heart attack in his sleep and never woke up. And it was very Mm. hard, you know, I didn't know, well, we didn't know what we were going to do, you know, and and it was the first thing we had to do is I said to Maxwell, what do you want to do with these horses this morning? And it was, it was a Friday night. Mm. Anyway, I turned and I said, we can't leave them in the boxes. And he said, no, he said, we better work them. So Mm. with some help from some very good friends and, and, and whatnot that really, you know, made it easier for us that morning. Mm. We went across and we worked the, I, was, I think it was a nearly 60 horses, or 55 horses or something. Yeah, yeah. We worked them and then it was a hard day from then on. Yeah. You know, but we got, got that out of the road, we got them worked, we got them looked after straight away.
0: Mm. And your licence was fast-tracked by the AJC and only a couple of weeks later the unthinkable happened. It was a Sunday meeting at Rose Hill and you won with your very first runner. All our mob in a three-year-old race, Dean Tanty was the jockey. It was a bittersweet experience, wasn't it?
1: It was, John. I, I couldn't, you know, it was something that you just were hoping that we could, um, you know, kick off well and, and he just jumped and, and he pulled his way to the front with Dean on him, and mm. he just never looked like getting beat, you know. And and he he won very impressive that day. And you know, we always knew he had. Dad always knew he had um, ability to horse, you know. And and uh, he bowled in. And Dean actually, Dean got signed over mm. to me in the same time as I got my licence. So yes, yeah, uh, yeah. he was. He him and Timmy Phillips were my first two apprentices.
0: Mm. Brian, I'll get you to stand by. We'll just pause to clear a commitment on the podcast. And when we come back, we'll talk more about All Our Mob, a horse who did so much for your career in those early days. Back after this. Off the top of your head, which famous Sydney Wait for Age event was won by Farlap, Burnborough, Tullock, Tranquil Star and Superimpose? To help you further, the same race was won four times on the trot by Tie the Knot and Winx. Yes, it's the time-honoured Chipping Norton Stakes, and it's on again at Randwick on Saturday, February 26, with a purse of $600,000 co-feature will be the half-million-dollar surround stakes named after the great filly who won the Cox Plate as a three-year-old. There'll be plenty of history, plenty of sentiment and an army of good horses at Royal Randwick on February 26 as the 2022 Autumn Carnival gathers momentum. My special guest is Brian Guy who saddled up his final runner on the Gold Coast on the 5th of February. Brian, over the next 12 or 14 months, you won four more city races with all our mob. He ran a million placings. And then you decided he deserved a crack at better races. So you took him to Brisbane. He ran second in the Doomben 10,000. He ran second in the BATC Sprint. How confident were you when you legged Kevin Moses up for the Stradbroke of the same year?
1: Um, yeah, well, um, we had our fingers crossed, that was for sure. Um, the horse had done very well. He'd had a good prep going into it, and, you know, we just thought that, that he had a good chance if he got the right run, and Kevin gave him the right run for us, and um, it was a good win. He, he got to the front, and he just kept fighting, which he did all his life, and um, and now he it was something that we went there with probably more hope but probably a little confident.
0: (laughs) You only got to start him a few more times before his owner, Curly Lyle, a great client, became very ill, passing away a short time later. Now, one of the terms of Curly's estate decreed that any horses he owned had to be sold. All our mob went onto the market and was quickly snapped up by Gay Waterhouse, on behalf of an Asian client, and that'd be one of your saddest moments watching him walk out of the place.
1: Yeah, John, it was. You know, Curly was very sick. I, I, I honestly, um I don't think he even knew the horse had won a Stradbroke. Mm. I bought the trophy back, and you know, I don't think he even got to see the trophy. Oh dear. And, but in leading up to that, he, Curly was in hospital, and Max and I used to go and see him, and see how he's going and everything you know and he sat there and and he said to me i want to want to see all our mob Mm. and i said no you know max was the same we just said no curly you'll be out of here and you'll be out to to watch him race he said no no i want to sell him to you for a dollar oh goodness me and i and we both turned around and said no curly you know Mm. what do you want to do that for i said get out and get out of this joint and come and watch him race, you know. I said, yeah, you'll be out of here shortly. Mm. And uh, he virtually never come out of hospital. And yeah. and uh, we could have bought him for a
0: dollar. <laughs> well, <next> right. <laughs> I wish you'd taken his dollar because the horse went on to win three more <laughs> group ones. He was placed in another four. He was a fantastic racehorse, a gentleman around the stable and a horse who gave a lot of people a great deal of pleasure. But they'll never be able to take the Stratbroke away from you.
1: No, that's for sure, John. You know, but you know, we, we could have said, Yeah, Curly, good and do that, but we wouldn't do it. You know, it mm-hmm. was something that Max and I said, No, you can't do that. And, and that's that was, you know, just one of those things. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: anyway, he went to the sales, and as you said, Curly, um, in his uh, will, had everything had to be sold, and he went to the sales, and mm-hmm. um, and he was bought. Actually, I had him back for another couple of runs to mm. tea after the sale because Chinese people bought him, mm. and and they were and they said to me, I'll let, we'll never take the horse from you," but mm. they, they did, and yeah. and then, uh, we always knew he'd get better as he get up as he got older, because the family did, you know. So mm. uh, anyway, we've uh, pushed on since then, and and uh, I think we've had a, we've gone all right since then.
0: Well, you chugged along happily over the next five or six years from your Rosehill base, winning races on a regular basis and a few nice horses popped up. King Lotto won ten altogether. Another Victor won a Group 3 at Sandown. Square the Circle was very good for the stable. And what about Rivada? A cheapie <laughs> you purchased at the QBBS sale in Brisbane for $10,000. He won a million... And you've got two Group 1s, QTC Classic and a George Rider. What a beaut horse he was.
1: Just, just goes to show, you know, that one door shut, another door opens. So you just do not know what's around the corner. Mm. But uh, I did go to that sale and and uh, the last thing I, my wife, Kerry, said to me, don't buy another horse, we've got too many.
0: I've heard that said, so many <laughs> times, Yeah. <laughs>
1: And, yeah. of course,
0: I took notice of a No, a, as you, as you always ball, have and always <laughs> will. Yeah. Now, Brian, so apart from those two group ones, we tend to forget he also ran second in a Caulfield Guinness, and he also yep. ran third in a Doncaster. We're talking yep. about a $10,000 horse here. He ran fifth or sixth in a
1: Doncaster with um, with um, Dipman on him, oh. uh, Mick riding, yeah. and he drew 21 Alley. and. Half a furlong, and I think he was silly in front. Yeah, you know. So he, he was a great horse. He was great to us, you know. And, mm. and um, he came along, and he, it was just a. He was a lovely horse too.
0: Yeah,
2: he
1: did was by,
0: by a stallion called Rave Report, and by far the best by that horse.
1: Yeah, well, Rave Report was actually owned by Hyperion Thoroughbreds, and we mm. trained him. Yeah, Dad oh, did trained him.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: Dad trained him. He was by Marquay out of a mare called Lady Del Mm. And um, and Dad trained him, but he always had bad bad um, tendons. And uh, I saw him one day. I, John, I don't know if you were still calling, but one day at Rose Hill, there he came from near last with Terry Duckett on him and blew him away in a mm. in a race there one day. And he beat another one of ours in the same race. Choco rode him. Mm. Uh, Royal Statement, I think the horse was called. Mm. And and he was he was a smart horse. Um, Rave report, but he had a lot of problems.
0: Mm. Well, in the late 1990s, something was happening in the Rosehill District that was concerning you deeply. Just a short distance away, a Woolworths complex suddenly popped up and then a Kentucky Fried and then a McDonald's and then a Sizzlers. The famous Nebo Lodge training stables had long gone. You could see the writing was on the wall.
1: Yeah, we uh, were right across the road from them, you know, mm. the next corner and the traffic. And in them days, you didn't have uh, walking machines and things like this. You used to do all your walking. Mm. Um, we used to have to do all our walking up and down Oak Street and, mm. and things like that. Well, the traffic just got that bad and, mm. and um, you know, and you just couldn't do it. And then they were thinking of, well, they had just started building stables on course or thinking about building stables on course. Mm. Um, and uh, I just thought to myself and spoke to Max with, you know, we had a bit of a talk and whatnot. And, and it was just, you know, did we want to go on course and, and rent and still own the properties there? It, it was a lot of mm. lot of ifs and buts. And and Dad had bought... Um, we had five houses, we had four in a row, and my sister lived in one, and mm. Dad was in the end one, I was there, and Max was there, you know. So, mm. you know, and I had to, I spoke to my sister, and we sat down, and she turned around and she said, Well, really, I don't want to live on the back of stables all my life. And I said, No, I understand all that. <laughs> Did she? I yeah. yeah. I understand all that, you know. And so we, uh, we decided to put on the market, but Max kept his place there, and, and, mm. um, and uh, he mucked about and, uh, with a couple of horses here for a while and, mm. uh, and whatnot. But um, no, so we decided to sell what we had and it was time for us to move on.
0: Mm. Before doing anything rash, you sent Daniel and another one of your key personnel, Russell Booth, to the Gold Coast with half a dozen horses to test the water. Did you rent some boxes for a while?
1: No, no, I actually bought them. I bought the place that I'm just sold. I mm. bought that. Um, we were coming up on holidays and I'd, uh, I'd bought a unit at, in uh, Main Beach here at the time. Mm. And um, I turned around and I said to, uh, and we we're looking for stable sort of thing to set up a satellite. And, and um, i come across this and it was owned by Alan Bailey at the time. Mm. And he'd had it on the market for a fair while. So I walked in and had a look around. and I didn't even go in the house. My wife walked through the house and looked at the house. And mm. and uh, I went down the stables and looked through the stables. And I thought, well, this is not too bad. This this could be something we can start off with. So we, uh, I put an um, offering for the place. And Alan said, I'll, I'll get back to you. He got back to us. He said, yeah, not a problem. So I, I bought mm. the place.
0: Yeah. When when you first became a trainer in your own right, you indentured a very good apprentice called Andrew Gibbons who's gone on to a great career. And then shortly before leaving Sydney, you signed up a little bloke from the central coast by the name of Michael Rod. You got him going in Sydney and then you took him to Queensland with you.
1: Yeah, we, 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 we started off in Sydney and, and and was trying to get him going... Uh, I just couldn't get him going down there, you know, it was just one of those things, and anyway, um, (coughs) we uh, decided to uh, send him up to the satellite stable where uh, Daniel was, and and Mm. Russell, and and just to put it on Russell, he died a couple of months ago, Russ, and it was a, Mm. that was a very sad day, you know, when I got a phone call, he went back to Western Australia, and his mother rang me, and Oh, dear. And then he passed away and he was only in his 50s. And, yes. You know, it, was, uh, it was a sad day, I could tell you,
0: because
1: mm. he was still a good friend. He was still rigging all the time from over there and he was, you yeah. know, when he was over here, he'd come and mm. he'd, he'd come back over and stay six months and he'd come and work for me for six months. You know, it was, mm. the friendship was very good, very strong there. But um, now and then um, he actually, Michael, ended up living in a unit with Russell when he, when, when he came up, you know, so they lived there in a, in a unit there just up the end of the street.
0: Yeah, well, Michael went on to reach great heights. Uh, he won a Melbourne Cup, he won a Cox Plate. He's not riding at the moment following a middle ear infection. He's been pretty crook and his army of fans are hoping to see him back sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, well, he's travelled over. He's ridden in Hong Kong. He's he's ridden in Singapore. He's ridden in Dubai. He's he, he's done a lot. You know, for a young bloke from the Central Coast that used to walk around with a hammer as big as he was to mm. be a carpenter. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's uh,
2: right.
1: Yeah. yeah, but he's um, no, he's he's at the moment he's just not in in, in good health at the moment. He's he gets keeps getting that vertigo and it's knocking him around something bad. But mm. When he came back from Singapore and he'd come back and he tried down in Sydney and Melbourne, it wasn't working. So he come to, back to Queensland and, oh, jeez, I don't know, for some reason my horses click with him and we'll win a race every week. Mm. You know, we'll win a race every week nearly. Mm. And uh, it was great to have him back here and um, and everything. And, and uh, then, this, then he got this um, vertigo and it, it, it's just knocked him around so much. Yeah, he'll be back.
0: He loves the business
1: i think he will i think he will i just wish he'd get rid of this um you know get rid of it and get himself back on track again because you know we all know he can ride you've
0: won 1200 races since moving to queensland and one of those races was near and dear to your heart the queensland derby you were lucky to get hold of a horse called eagle way from the one and only john moore and you did a great job with him. You ran second in the Grand Prix. You won the Derby with Tommy Berry on board. And John flew over from Hong Kong. He was there.
1: Yeah, well, um, he came up from Sydney, and, and and John, I'd been training a few horses for John, and we'd had a we had a fair bit of luck together, you know. And, and horses that we got ready, and, and they went to Hong Kong for John, and all that sort of stuff, you know. Mm. <clears throat> but he um, he then uh, sent me this horse up. He said. See what he's like. He said, I got caught with him at the sales, so let's see what we can do with him. Mm. And uh, I, I took him to Ipswich, so Ips, his first run, and uh, he got back and he, and he finished off really well. He ran about fifth or sixth. Mm. Anyway, um, Paul Hemmersley, right? him. Paul come back in and said, take him to Caloundra in a mile, he'll win. Mm. And I said, oh, okay. So I ringed John up and I've got him in the mile at Caloundra. And I rang, rang John up and I said to John, this horse will win today. He said, beg your pardon? Yeah, did he? I said, this, I said, this horse will win today. Mm. And he said, oh, oh, that'll be good. Well, he bolted in. He won by about three or four lengths. And, and mm. by the time, I don't think the last horse had pulled up and John was on the phone. Yeah. And he said, mate, that was sensational. I said, we thought he'd win. Mm. He said, oh. So I spoke to him. I said, we got another mile race um, in a fortnight's time. Yeah. But I think that could be a touch short for him at Doomben. Mm. And I said, but there's an 1800 back here at the Sunshine Coast, an open three-year-old race, and he'll win again. Anyway, we took him to the mile first, and he was last on the corner, and he won by a nose. Dear
0: me, yeah.
1: It was an enormous
2: win.
0: Mm.
1: Then we went to the Sunshine Coast and he won by five, over mm. 1,800 metres. Yeah. And I remember getting in the car to come home and John rings me and he said, mate, thanks very much for that. You know, he said, I can get me money back now with him. I can sell him to clients over here. We'll bring him to Hong Kong.
2: Mm.
1: And I must have sounded disappointed to him because I um,
2: mm.
1: I said, oh, yeah, okay. And he said, what's wrong? I said, I think I can win a derby with this horse. <laughs> oh, and he said, do you? I said, yeah. He said, well, I can't train a bloody Group 1 winner in Australia. I might as well own one. He said, keep him and go to the derby.
0: (laughs) Oh, how good was that? So
1: that was it. And then we set our sights on the derby and Mm. everything fell into line. He never had one mishap going to it. Everything just went great, Mm. you know. And then I rung him up and I said to him, I said, you better come out this week. Mm. I said, you can have a Group 1 winner. And he said, you think so? I said, I'm telling you, John. I said, I'll be disappointed if he doesn't doesn't uh, run in the top three, I can tell you, but yeah. I think he could win. Yeah. And he said, uh, oh, we'll get on a plane and come out. So he flew out on the Friday. Mm. He was at the races on the Saturday.
2: Mm.
1: We won the derby. We had a couple of champagnes together. He jumped on a plane, went back, and he was there for his race meeting on the Sunday.
0: Oh, dear me. It's about a nine-hour flight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: You've always said a- Grand Reeve was potentially the best you've trained in Queensland. Uh, a canny lad, he won six from fourteen. Had problems though.
1: <coughs> Sorry, John. Yeah, he had. He had a. Um, he had. Well, the only problem he had was nearly his last run, and in the race he bowed a tendon, Believe it or not, mm. and I don't think you, you actually saw the best of Grand Reeve. You know, he mm. he ran uh, three or four seconds behind Gold Edition and give a weight, mm. you know, because of the Colts and Phillies um Yeah,
0: you kept running yeah. into gold edition.
1: Yeah, mm. well, she was going through the same sort of grades as we were, going to the Magic Millions three-year-old and mm. things like that, you know, and, um, and he was a very good horse. He was a very good horse. Mm. Oh, um, there were
0: plenty of others, mate. Jar Jar Binks, Classic Carla, Noisy Ocean, Maasai Pride did a terrific job, won a Magic Millions Cup, in fact. Hey, Brian, I mentioned in the introduction that you were still training horses for owners who were with your dad 50 years ago. One of them is Jim Forsyth, who's now in his late 80s. He lives in Brisbane, and you tell me he's at the head of the queue at Eagle Farm or Doomben every Saturday when they open the gates.
1: Well, John, he only lives probably um, 10 minutes away from me here. Mm. At the, here, mm. And he goes to the Gold Coast every Saturday.
0: Oh, does he? He's a, right.
1: Yeah. He goes to the Gold Coast every Saturday, him and Betty, mm. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's head of the queue just about every Saturday to walk in the gates and they go and get their table. That they sit at all the time. Good on him. And uh, yeah, they watch the races and, and – um, when I'm there, if we haven't, haven't had to go to town, mm. I go over there and I say, sit down there, Jim, I'll get you a beer. And we sit down, we have a couple of beers together and mm. and uh, talk about see so if we can find a winner. And mm. uh, if I've got one, I'll try to steer him the right way. But um, no, he's, uh, him and Betty are still going very well. Matter of fact, they come over there yesterday and had a bit of a do with us yesterday for our for my last day. And, mm. and uh, they were both there.
0: Yep. Yeah, and there are others too, aren't there? Tony Velos, John Abrahams is another who was with with Dad many years ago.
1: Yeah, well, Tony, I rang Tony on Friday because he owns Golden Athena that raced yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, I spoke to him about her, and I said I could only give her one barrier trial, and we've come up on a heavy eight, Tony, and it's my last day and everything, but I think she'll run us a terrific race. Well. Mm. Half a furlong out, she was you know, She was a couple of lengths in front and she knocked up. It was only because we just couldn't get another trial and it gave 1,400 first up. You know, we didn't have mm. the time.
0: Mm. Your daughter Katie is married to Barry Bowditch, who's the CEO of the Magic Millions sales company, who've just had a very successful 2022 sale. Katie understands the language of racing, doesn't she?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, well... Kate was brought up with us here and then she uh, ended up marrying Barry. So I think, um, you know, so she's seen seeing both sides of it, really. Mm. <laughs> she's seen how the, the tough mornings and and, uh, and the tough sail times, you know, like mm. this COVID has uh, just knocked everybody, just not magic millions, but it's knocked everybody. And, um, you know, to, for him to get a sail up and going through this time, is absolutely sensational. And the money, you know, everybody that you talk to, they all want to tell me how good a bloke he is and all this sort of stuff. Well, mm. they don't have to tell me. I know that yeah. he's, you know, he was a kid of 15. He used to come and strap for me. So I've known him a long time.
0: Mm. You've had several wonderfully successful seasons in Queensland which have propelled you to a Metropolitan Trainers Premiership, two southeast Corner Premierships, and three Ipswich premierships. Now the southeastern corner title, Brian, embraces five tracks, doesn't it?
1: Yes, yeah. It's um, uh, Sunshine Coast, uh, the two two in town, Ipswich and Gold Coast. Mm. And um, we were lucky enough to to win two of those those um, premierships of. Uh, the southeast corner, you know, and, and in one of those, as you said, we won a Metro as well. But um, – and uh, I also run, to, run second one day and and um, uh, to the at the Sunshine Case Premiership to um, Bruce McLaughlin and, mm. and I'll never forget it. Bruce came up to me and said, geez, you're giving me a bit of a fright, son. <laughs> Did he? Did he? Yeah. But he used to it. say – he used to say, Max, you give me a bit of a fright, son, and I used to say, Brian. And then after oh, so many times and so, oh, must have been a couple of years, mm. he turned around and he said, I've been calling you Max, it's Brian. I said, that's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just let it go. <laughs> you, yeah. got, you got used to it.
1: He <laughs> yeah. was a great bloke, Bruce.
0: Your wife, Kerry has got yep. to make the biggest adjustment of all now that you've joined the ranks of retirees. She has the monstrous job of growing accustomed to having you under her feet
1: 24-7. Yes. <laughs> I pity her. <laughs> John, you know, we got married young um, three years after um, Daniel come along. And mm. then three years after that, Katie come along. Mm. And we've always been a close family. You know, I've, I've always been round home sort of thing because um, all my life I've had a house at the stables. Mm. So we've always been uh, around. And if I wasn't at the races, I'd be home and, you know, things like that. So it, it's not that big a adjustment. I think it's just the adjustment of, of – um, what I'm going to have to do, I don't know if I'm going to have to do the washing the floors
0: or, or hmm.
1: um, doing the ironing, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You'll be no good at either, I know that. <laughs>
1: that's, for, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I've known you since you were in your mid-teens, Brian, and I can't believe it's time for you to retire. Uh, your dad and Uncle Max would have been very proud of the job you've done as a horse trainer very proud of the image you've projected throughout your career and very proud of the fact that you have finished that career with the respect of all sections of the industry good health mate thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by supernova sound
1: and thank you john for uh, you know for putting this over and also for being a friend for as you said, since my mid-teens. I've known you a long time, I've always uh, spoken. I'd like to thank you as well.
0: My pleasure, mate. Great to talk and we'll catch up. Yep, for sure. With another successful classic sale done and dusted, the spotlight now switches to Oakland's Junction in Melbourne where 793 yearlings have been catalogued for the English Premier Sale on February 27 and 28 and March the 1st. The progeny of 121 proven sires will be offered, while 16 impressive first season sires will be represented. International stallions like Kingman, Medaglia Doro, Lord Canaloa and Camelot will also have progeny offered during the premier sale. More than half of the yearlings on offer are Super Vobus nominated. Since 2019, Premier graduates have won 20 open races around Australia, worth $1 million or more. The sale has produced 19 Group 1 winning graduates since 2018, 11 of which could have been purchased for $100,000 or less. The catalogue is now available for the English Premier Yearling Sale, commencing on Sunday, February 27th.